sometimes I think about when is the appropriate time to start talking in the intro. Uh, I, I would go with. Now. I would go with now. <laughs> when it gets quiet. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You're back to Freightonomics. Freightonomics. It has been a while. We we took last week off because we had, of course, our big live event. For those of you that tuned in for that, Freightwaves Live at Home, a tremendous success. Uh, for the freight waves nation out there that that stay tuned for all of that that was a extremely important informative virtual conference yeah um, I myself was blown away uh, with all the content and production quality a uh, little shout out to our production team huge shout out to the production yeah. team yeah. Emily Zink and her team Jonathan yeah. Smith Cody Mathis uh, th- th- Jimmy Carden Harrison I mean Emma Connor everyone came Emma. through can't Everyone, came Everyone came through. So good job last week. We took some time. Well, actually, we had to be uh, on call for all that <laughs> last yeah. week. So we yeah. really didn't take time. We uh, we got to be a part of that. So Anthony Smith. Uh, a little demoing, back. too. Yeah, a little demo with a host of the show, talking to some <laughs> demos. Um, That's me. Anyway, welcome to Freightonomics. And what do we do here on Freightonomics, Anthony? Yeah, we got to sh- introduce the show. We should this say, is hey. in- this, this yeah. is Freightonomics. <laughs> um, we bring freight and economics together. I know two of the most exciting uh, subjects that you ever thought of, trucking and econ. But when you bring Freightonomics together, it really is a wonderful pairing. Um, you really kind of see how they are so similar. Supply, demand moves everything including that being the basis of many, as they know, for economics and freight. It's supplying the demand. Yeah, supply chain analysis, everything from the highest level to the lowest level, connecting all the dots itself. So, uh, you know, this week is going to be a pretty economic-heavy week. Is that correct, Anthony? What are we going to talk about this week? Yeah, uh, towards the end, we have... um, So he's looking at your show notes here. They're quite comical. <laughs> um, we have industrial Just production coming up at the end of the week, and we also have retail sales. So looking forward to those two, the big things. Um, recently, of course, I think we, we touched on it briefly in our last show was GDP. We had that. We can, we can glance over that. We, I know the last show, I think it released that morning. We can talk into a little, little bit more detail. I think the initial findings were um, pretty, a little bit light compared to what some thought. But, I mean, to have, uh, well, we can just jump into it right now real quick. Well, let's, let's start off with our stories of the week. Yeah, what's the stories? What's the the stories? stories of the week. So, you know, looking at, you know, this this is pretty relevant to our show specifically because we just had an investor conference on the transportation side. Uh, at Bank of America hosted this virtually, as is the, the tradition here in the last month and a half or two, uh, the virtual conferencing. And we had, you know, a lot of people participating from... Oh, what do you got? Uh, looks like, okay, TV crew. I don't know, but I'm getting so, as you know, I watch LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. It's saying it's a screen blank for everyone. So oh. uh looks like everyone is having a blank screen right now. They don't need Heads to up see to us. Audio. Okay, okay, so it's going to get restarted. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're talking in our ears. It's, yeah. The video's coming, but we're going to go audio for now. Let's do audio. They, do I it. mean, they don't need to see us. I okay. mean, they know what they get. Got you all. <laughs> We see you, Ray Roy. So the Bank of America Transportation and Industrials Conference this week uh, had participants from J.B. Hunt, U.S. Express, Werner, uh, all sorts of transportation companies talking about what they're seeing in the market today, what they expect to see in the future. Now, 
Um, of course, obviously, the theme is uncertainty in the supply chain. How does that impact their business moving forward? A lot of these carriers, of course, some of the largest in the country, um, the, you know, Derek Leathers, CEO of Warner, uh, said, you know, I think he sums it up. The last six weeks have been, quote, bumpy, <laughs> yeah. uh, referring to the dislocation in the supply chain caused by surges in demand from essential businesses, while shippers in non-essential segments have been a dr- seen a dramatic fall off, which creates imbalances in their freight networks. Now, what this means, of course, in the context of freight markets and carriers, et cetera, uh, Werner has to, you know, go into Atlanta, go into New York City, deliver a bunch of freight, you know, from a DC, et cetera. But they're not seeing a lot of production coming out of some of the areas that they saw before. So, Mahoopany, Pennsylvania, home of the famous Charmin factory, up there producing nonstop, round-the-clock toilet paper for all these people. They're consuming the toilet paper at an abundance, you know, in these residential consumption-type communities, and yet. A lot of the industrial segments for the non-essential goods have shut down. Yeah. So that means that they have 10 trucks going in, one truck coming out full. So that means that they have to, for utilization factor, this is bad This is bad news, because that means that they are coming back empty to go to Mahoopany from New York City or wherever they're coming from. I'm just saying that as an example. But a lot of deadhead miles, a lot of non-revenue miles, not great for carriers uh, sitting out there. And that is a lot of what they're seeing right now. Although Werner did have, a, I mean, most of the carriers, you know, we've covered a few earnings at high level. Yeah. Listen to Crate Quarter guys for some in detail, uh, solid earnings report and detailed analysis on that. But most of them reported in the first quarter pretty solid earnings. But again, March was not a terrible month for those that were hauling some of these essential goods or consumer products like toilet paper, uh, Lysol wipes, etc. Anybody that was dealing with that did have a good March. And, you know, coming into April, we're not seeing, we haven't seen any earnings reports or revenue reports yet, but most of those, you know, anecdotal evidence along with our data, of course, in Sonar, uh, showing that April is going to be one of the worst months in the transportation industry's history, yeah. uh, at least on the domestic freight side, uh, in terms of volume, uh, spot rates, et cetera. You know, we're starting to recover out of that. We'll cover that later in the show. But, um, yeah, so, you know, a lot of what they saw in this conference was not a great month. Uh, we are seeing some recovery we are seeing some positive signs uh, in early May. Um, essential versus non-essential creating network imbalances. Um, again, depending on your freight mix as a carrier, you're going to be more exposed or underexposed in certain regards. We just had Yellow uh, Roadway report some earnings that were actually really positive. Uh, they, uh, again, traditionally operate at a very high operating ratio, which is not great. Over 100 means they're losing money for every dollar they spend on operation, and they made money this week. Uh, 97 or this quarter, I should say, this past quarter, uh, 97 OR, uh, really solid improvement, almost a 500 basis point year-over-year change in OR, uh, which means that they are doing just fine this quarter. They've stopped spending money on trucks uh, in terms of buying them, but they're leasing them now, so they're kind of doing a little bit of a a cash flow game uh, there, which is smart in my opinion. So that's, but again, good signs. Um, everybody else saying the same thing, downturns, supply chains are still kind of adapting to this new world order. Yeah. Not, 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 not a huge amount of, of insight here, except for the fact that they're really expecting 
you know, this the, the government stimulus appears to have had some form of impact in keeping these things afloat a little bit stronger. You know, if you watched any of our conference, you saw the great debate with myself and our CEO and founder, Craig Fuller. Um, <laughs> that was a great debate, by yeah, the way. Yeah, don't want to... Great debate. Don't want to gloat, but I had a... I had a small win there, but the, uh, <laughs> it does turn out though, that he is going to end up winning our bet about a, a 9,300 OTVI value this week. We are above 9,300 Anthony Smith yeah. by a good bit. And I'm, I'm honestly like excited. Like this is actually fantastic news. That means that the economy itself may be recovering. I'm going to hold on calling it yet yeah. <clears throat> yeah. because my argument was the fact that this may be one of those false signals that we see, right? Not necessarily, something sustainable because we're seeing something similar in the maritime segment where they, we had a huge recovery of maritime import shipments and now they're falling off rapidly. Yeah. A lot of these orders that are coming through, maybe some replenishment, near-term replenishment. We'll see how sustainable that is uh, moving into June, the peak of freight season or the freight volume uh, typically occurs in June. Um, so we'll see. We'll see on that note. I mean, you bring up a good point, right? I mean, we were talking about some of the blank sailings on the maritime side. Um, some of the stuff that was put into place that was ordered before the Rona ramp up. Mm-hmm. And so none of that stuff, that stuff is starting to get uh, really kind of hit the, the freight. Um, so another area that I, that kind of popped into my mind when we were talking about essential versus non-essential freight moving, you know, March not really being a typical month um, and really a great month for many carriers, depending on what you were hauling. And now, um, we're seeing, and as we get through April and into, into May, that that's it's not like March, right? I mean, we're seeing that stuff isn't moving the same way during that ramp up, of course, um, which really kind of makes it that much more important to diversify what you're hauling, right? Yeah, that's a big deal. <laughs> it's a huge deal. I um, mean, I mean, it's it's uh, you know, you're you're hauling a lot of say, you know, you know, you're in the cold chain. You're in the supply chain for a lot of restaurants, maybe some commissary, school supplies, etc. Uh those are obviously in limbo right now. Uh you have to find something else to move in the interim. Grocery, of course, is a good uh, substitute. We're seeing surging grocery demand. Um, but what do you do, you know, I mean, reefer carriers can haul other freight. They can yeah. haul dry van freight, and they're actually set up more for it than some of the dry van carriers in hauling specialized freight because that, those trailers that they build for reefer carriers are reinforced. If you listen to our freightonomics in months past when we were pre-corona times and the yeah. before times, um, we talked about the difference between reefer carriers, dry van carriers, flatbed, et cetera, and what they do. And reefer carriers actually get the advantage of having some of these reinforced trailers, which are very good for hauling some of the specialized freight. Because that means that you can stack a bunch of stuff in those reefer trailers and not have the trailer bow out on either end. Uh, so it's not like that they're, you know, suffering that that largely. I mean, I think Cisco itself has already lended its resources to some of the grocery supply chain, uh, you know, less commissary driven uh, stuff. That's a good point. I yeah. mean, just as you said, Reefer doesn't have to carry refrigerated or temperature controlled goods. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Ad- Adaptability is the name of the game, Anthony Smith. Big I mean, time. If you can be flexible in these times, diversify your freight, think of like a financial analyst, like you need to get out of, you know, this good and move into another good to help keep your utilization up. And it's actually more detrimental for you to think like this than it is the financial analyst. Yeah. Because the financial analyst is moving paper and air. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you are moving freight. You have drivers that are sitting there not getting paid. 
they're not moving, you know, on the carrier end, et cetera. So you do need, it is more important and detrimental for you to find something to move on that, on that truck than it is for the financial, uh, anal- you know, analysts, stock mm-hmm. traders to move out of, in and out of different portfolios. Yeah. Which kind of breaks into some of the econ factors of it all is, is really kind of finding what segments of the economy are moving along, which are hurting, but maybe hurting a little bit less than some of the other sectors overall. Yep. Um, uh, as I mentioned last week, we, we had a quick glance at uh, overall GDP. Um, just kind of quickly going over, that was a 4.8% quarterly loss. And I think the theme explain of our last show, Explain the quarterly loss. Was that, so that's 4.8% year over year. Oh, from last quarter. Or from last quarter. Yeah. So from the fourth quarter of 2019, mm-hmm. we dropped 4.8%. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's a decline that is kind of telling because, remember, January was a pretty normal month in the U.S. economy. February was a pretty normal month. Half of March was a little bit off or very off. Um, that's very <laughs> off. Very. And that was enough to do 4.8% uh, damage on a quarter-to-quarter basis. And so theme of our last show, I think the title was The Worst is Yet to Come. And some of the things that you've headlined here is really show that April really might be that trough and really might mm-hmm. show that that's going to show a full month of what the coronaviruses can do and will do to a, a country on an economic sense and a transportation sense. And so we're looking at... GDP, um, there are estimates from many reputable institutions that are all over the place. There's there's variances here. I mean, uh, on the lower end, some are saying 18%. On the higher end. 18%. Everybody, I think everybody kind of consensus has been a really bad Q2. Yeah. Uh, They just didn't know how bad. Now, the the range, I believe, was anywhere from a negative 4 to a negative 22. I've heard as far as negative 30. Okay. So yeah, you're the economist. So you, you have to fill in that one. But the, uh, yeah, I, I, I've heard some really scary numbers, but again, I, I don't think, you know, from what it looks like to me, people aren't as necessarily as concerned about these, this being that they're very confident that this is a very temporary situation. Yeah. I mean, most, uh, you know, in, in years past, you think about a negative 20%, decline in GDP and you're thinking mass depression, right. total anarchy. Everybody seems pretty bullish into Q3, Q4, especially on that Bank of America supply chain uh, conference or transportation conference. Uh, they are very, they are feeling pretty positive. Again, these are a lot of people that have to make some positive comments. So I want to, I, I have to throw that out there. A lot of these carriers are publicly traded. They can't necessarily say that things are going to be super bad moving forward. But I, I do believe in general that they're they're relaying some form of positive sentiment that they truly feel. And again, we as humans have to think this in, in a certain way, uh, that there's an optimistic outlook for Q, Q3, Q4. The freight volumes are showing it. Yeah, They're showing a faster recovery than I would have anticipated. Yeah. That gives me that gives me a lot of optimism. I'm going to be honest, and it's because I'm looking at the data. I always have to look at the data. You can go with your feelings. You just meant word dropped optimism. I did, but I used it based on data and information that's solid and and not debatable. So it's interesting. Well, we'll we can chat about it a little bit later. Um, consumer confidence, of course, it's in the tanks right now, but there are components to these various consumer confidence uh, releases. One of them is the outlook, like the six-month outlook. And that is surprisingly decent for most measures. And in fact, I think the consumer confidence for many countries has 
increase. I think Australia and Canada, I have to double check some of those numbers, but I'm not as familiar with them as I am with some of the U.S. Conference Board or the University of Michigan ones, but they have shown increases, I think, on their forward-looking outlook. And so many people are expecting, as you said, uh, a recovery, and they are looking forward to the future and being more optimistic to the second half of 2020 and that this is not forever. So it's a good thing, of course, but all within reason. And Well, we have said in the past that this looks more like a natural disaster, not necessarily a uh, traditional economic recession slash depression where you have this slow lead-in you know, financial market economic collapse type deal. I mean, we're looking at the stock market. It seems to be extremely dis- extremely disconnected from the now. Yeah. But they seem to be relatively optimistic, recovering a lot of their losses. They're they're ha- they're almost halfway back. Yeah. To where they were in early March. So this is not, you know, I think I think we're really optimistic as a yeah. country as an, you know, on the financial side, things are looking a little bit better. You know, I personally feel a little bit better. Uh, you know, looks like I'm going to lose my bet to Craig, uh, which is, <laughs> did you wager just, anything? Just pride, okay. which is, you know, for me and him, that's, that's really the most valuable currency we have. So, gotcha. um, <laughs> you know, year over year on the outbound tender volume index, we are only 1.13% down. That is not, horrific i you know for him to say that he had some sort of scientific analysis going into this i'm gonna call nonsense on uh because there's no way that you know i i I think anybody could have seen this but at the same time he did think uh that we as a country are a lot more optimistic oh you cannot keep the american consumer out of the game for long uh businesses of course are going to continue to spend he actually had a lot more faith in that economic stimulus than i did yeah. uh in keeping everybody you know kind of moving along etc so uh to his credit uh, he definitely took a much more risky call than i did uh, i think i was probably in the majority on that one but it looks like he was probably going to win our bet for at least the first part of our bet he has to stay above 9300 for the entire month which it looks like he's probably going to get, but 1.3%, 1.13% down year over year should be, we should also talk about last year was not a great May. Yeah. It was actually one of the worst Mays that we had had in recent history because we saw a dramatic drop off in volumes uh, right after May 11th. Uh, of course, the trade war was going on, et cetera. One of the worst Mays in history. We had a super soft summer peak. So some easier comps. We, we got some easy saying. comps yeah. is exactly what I'm saying. So it sounds great considering we've been as far as uh, 15 16% down year over year yeah. in the middle of April. So we've had a great recovery. Freight volumes are really on the up and up. But we're still not where we need to be this yeah. time of year. 2018, uh, we're still well away, well away, pretty far away from that. We're still about 5 6% off of 2018 volumes. Which again, five to six percent overall is a big number. Yeah, you cannot be understated there. Right. Um, we're still we're still out where you would want to be. Volumes are still muted. It's not necessarily great for uh, spot rates, et cetera. Obviously, the rates have not come back remotely. We're starting to see a little bit more upward pressure there, but nothing like we would really expect to see traditionally in May. Yeah, and what you're telling me, Zach, is you're breaking down a lot of perspectives here. Mm-hmm. A lot of perspectives within the freight industry, and that is the theme of today's show, is that it's all about perspectives. And one of the perspectives I enjoy the most comes from uh, a lovely group of folks that put together 
an index that I'm a huge fan of, Zach, is the Logistics Managers Index, the LMI. This is great. I think it's highly underrated. And if you're not tracking, I think you already should be tracking it. Um, get in touch with it. Uh, get in, get involved with the survey. But we have Zach Rogers of... A great uh, name. He's got a great name. <laughs> you can tell right away that he knows what he's talking about. I'm going to be outnumbered here. Um, <laughs> we have Zach Rogers. Um, I think he might be on the line, if I'm not mistaken. Um Zach, are you here? Hey, guys. How you doing today? Perfect. <laughs> Zach, we are well in yourself. Oh, pretty well. Just, uh, I mean, honestly, about the same as I was an hour ago when I talked to you. But, you know, <laughs> things, things are good. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear No diminishing yeah. returns here. I mean, he's staying, he's staying upbeat. He's staying good. Hour-to-hour check-ins. This is how me and Zach do, Zach. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I see you every day. I don't have to check in every hour. <laughs> i got to keep in touch with my Zachs. But... <laughs> For those who who might not be, Zach, can you give us a a quick introduction? Zach Rogers, can you give us a quick introduction to yourself and and your group and and everything that you're a part of? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm a guest on your show. So, Anthony, if it makes it easier to just call me Zach, too, uh, for the next 45 minutes, (laughs) that's fine. That works. Uh, But so so the Logistics Managers Index is uh, a change index that um, we, uh, I started with a number of other researchers, uh, Dale Rogers at Arizona State, Stephen Carnivale at, at uh, Rochester, Shen Yenier at Rutgers, and, and Ron Lemke at University of Nevada. And what it is, is uh, essentially we put out a monthly survey where we talk to a few hundred um, supply chain uh, logistics sort of uh, experts. So basically we're looking at director levels and above at a whole bunch of different com- uh, companies. And it, it, this goes across all kinds of industries. We've got retail, got 3PLs, you know, electronics, warehousing. We, so, so a big cross-section of the economy. And we asked them a few simple questions. Basically, we asked them about eight key uh, sub, uh, supply chain metrics. So basically inventory levels and costs, and then warehousing and transportation, uh, price, utilization, and capacity. So and, and all we say, let's take warehousing capacity, for example. We say, is warehousing capacity the same as last month? Has it increased or has it decreased? And that's it. And we use that to create a diffusion or change index, similar to like what they use uh, with the purchasing managers index, the PMI. And it gives us a number that shows whether those metrics are increasing, staying the same, or decreasing. So essentially, any number over 50 in our uh, in in our report shows growth in that metric. Any number below fifty shows contraction, and the level to which it's growing or contracting will either push that number you know closer to hundred or closer to zero. We started this index in September of 2016, and the reason that we did it, and and we've done it monthly since then. And the reason that we we did it is because we believe, like uh, I'm sure you gentlemen do that logistics is a leading indicator of the economy. So if we're going to have you know, retail sales, if we're going to sell something in a store, well, first we have to move it to that store. So that entails putting it on a truck, having it in a warehouse, storing it in inventory. And so you know, if, if you look at our index, and, and especially some of the metrics in there, transportation price would be a big one, you can really uh, predict what's going to happen next in the economy. So in the, the first three and a half years of the LMI, transportation price in, say, March does a pretty good job of predicting retail sales in April. 
And so it's a fairly predictive uh, and, and fairly fluid uh, index, and 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 we've had a lot of a lot of fun, and 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 people have had a lot of interest in it uh, so far over over the last three years. Yeah, that's a great uh, that's a good point. Uh, you know, I haven't really thought about it in terms of looking at it from a you know a month to month. Excuse me. Uh oh. Get away. From Social me. distance. Get away. From um, <laughs> a month to month type indicator, but that's a great point. I um, mean, what you're saying is 100 percent accurate. Is a lot of you know a lot of these com- companies. Uh, will order things in front of demand and they will actually market it knowing that they're going to have these big pushes, seasonal pushes. I mean, we as a population are not as, you know, we, we think that we have this free thought, <laughs> you know, that we, you know, obviously are in the moment, can constantly interact. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I want to grill today. No, a lot of that's actually influenced by our environment, seasons, et cetera. So a lot of these companies have these advanced uh, marketing tools that they get in front of these things with. They'll order in front of things knowing they're going to see this demand side or they're going to create this demand side. So that's a great point, Zach. <laughs> I think the other yeah Anthony thinks point. that it was his idea to buy that cool black zip up, but it wasn't. Nobody else thought that first. Someone else's idea, exactly. <laughs> I think I'm my own individual, but really I'm not. I think one of the other big points that uh, Zach brought up here, Zach too brought up here, was that uh, you know the distinction here is it's a combination of different industries. It's not just focusing on. Uh, manufacturing is also focusing on the consumer side of things. And, and Zach, I know we chatted earlier on about this, is that this really shows uh, more versus uh, upstream versus downstream. Is that right? Yeah. So we split up um, our, our metrics by upstream and downstream firms. So upstream would be, um, you know, further away from the consumer. So manufacturers, 3PLs. Downstream would be things like retailers who are are really close to the consumer. And it's interesting because we saw way more of a depression in logistics uh, metrics downstream this month. Uh, Specifically, transportation prices, very low. um, Warehouse prices, pretty low. And the reason for that is because upstream is where all the inventory is stuck at right now. And so really, this, this month's LMI is interesting because it, it's diverged from almost every other report that we've had in the last three years. But usually, transportation and warehousing kind of move together. When the economy is hot, both transportation and warehousing are hot. Yep. When it's down, they're both yep. down. This month, transportation is uh, record lows for us in terms of uh, price and utilization. At the same time, warehouse co- warehousing metrics are showing tremendous growth. So warehousing prices are up and capacity is contracting. So, so why is that? Why do we have that dissonance? Well, the reason is because it's sort of like, like what uh, Zach One uh, was saying a minute ago. <laughs> all of this is planned way in advance. And so we have all of this pipeline inventory that you know, we thought we were going to be selling in April and May that's not moving at all. And so um, transportation is, is down because we're not moving anything, but the warehouses are full. And so we actually see pretty robust levels of activity at warehouses right now and, and really depressed activity um, in, in transportation. And it's an interesting dichotomy uh, that we hadn't really seen before uh, in the past. Um, you know, we have all this, all this stuff and there's nowhere to go. And a lot of the normal drains that would exist, you know, the ways you can drain out excess inventory, either through a, 
secondary market or return to manufacturer or, or whatever, those are closed off right now too. And so we just have huge amounts of inventory concentrated sort of halfway through the supply chain, which is really the last place you want it because you're paying for it when it's in your warehouse with no possibility to sell it. So inventory right now for a lot of companies, apparel companies, furniture companies, electronics companies, is trapped at the exact worst part of the supply chain where you're paying for it and not able to sell it. So, so Zach, let me ask you this. Uh, since it is, you know, you, you do have to bring this, uh, all this inventory into the country and it sits mm-hmm. in a warehouse, do you think that this inventory buildup in these warehouses is a, uh, a result of people pulling forward or do you think uh, that this is a result of some sort of lag in orders? Like, do you think that they, they put all these orders in, you know, pre-corona or right at the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak and, and they basically are now had a glut because they didn't necessarily, you know, because of the lead time between orders and fulfillment, it can create a little mm-hmm. bit of an information lag. Or do you think that they're actually getting ready for the recovery? Oh, I, I think it's lag. Okay. Uh, so one of the things that I don't know if you guys had to play this, I, all of my students have to play a game called the beer game, uh, in, in class and there's like no it. actual beer in the beer game, which is always, a, a, you know, sad for them when they find out we're just playing a poker chip. Um, but so the idea of the beer game is that there's something called the bullwhip effect. So when demand changes a little bit downstream, the inventory that you're holding upstream is going to change a lot. And that's because of the delay in information. So Let's take the apparel industry, just just for example. So we don't really make any apparel in the United States, or very little. Most of it is made in China, Bangladesh, Vietnam. So if I place an order uh, to my supplier in Bangladesh, I'm probably placing that order for clothing that I'm expecting to sell. Right now, it's May 13th. I'm expecting to sell that clothing in August, September, probably. Right? And so there's a long tail on how long that takes it uh, to get over. The problem right now is, you know, take someone like a Macy's. Macy's brought in a ton of clothes for their spring line. Well, March, you know, mid-March is when we shut down, right? When, you know, the weather was getting nice, everybody wanted to start buying spring clothes. And so all those spring clothes are just sitting somewhere. And they can't, you know, offload it to TJ Maxx or Ross like they normally would. Because all those stores are closed up too, so so all of the sort of you know uh, uh, alternate avenues of disposition are closed up. So um, right now they're canceling orders like crazy upstream because okay now we don't want you know summer clothes coming in or fall clothes or whatever, but we have all this extra stuff sitting in our warehouse now. Some of those summer clothes were probably already ordered, right? Like the stuff they were going to sell in you know in June that was probably ordered already when this started. And so you have this sort of lag in terms of things are still coming in, um, you know, even though we, we wouldn't necessarily want them anymore. The one saving grace here is that, uh, and this is kind of funny that it's a saving grace, is that we saw this corona shock on the supply side before we saw it on the demand side. And so we saw a slowdown in China in their uh, uh, productive capabilities in December, January, February. And so we were going to be short. Like if American demand had stayed the same, then we were going to be short on some items like electronics and toys, for instance. But because there was that that earlier depression in China, it actually is going to balance out a little bit for some key industries. That's an interesting take there. That's a, I mean, that's a strong take. That's Yeah, I like I, that. I, I like that it. a lot. 
No, I, I think you're also validating if you were, if you were watching our conference last week and saw me debate Craig Fuller, our CEO. That was one of my points. Is I, I was feeling exactly like you just said that this was kind of a lag uh, in the in the market where we are seeing a a little bit of a ripple uh, occurring from China coming back online prior to America, you know, really being prepared for a lot of the goods and you know services coming back online. So the demand side just kind of softened after the supply side uh, kind of fell off and recovered. So a lot of what we're seeing on the import side. Looks like it's coming into some warehouses and sitting for a little bit, waiting on, you know, that demand to come back online. Now, the shocking thing to me is that at least in early May, and this probably it won't show up in your, you know, transportation utilization or capacity indexes yet for for April, but that it was coming back. Uh, uh, it's coming back a little bit stronger than we anticipated, uh, or at least that I anticipated here in the early going, but. To provide our listeners a little bit of context, Anthony, we should actually tell them exactly what some of these numbers are, correct? Yeah, I mean, um, we have a complete breakout for yeah. the LMI. We have Zach, Zach Rogers. Yeah, the, Zach, do you have it in front of you? Do you want to... The composite, the overall, then we have the different components and everything that have various yeah. movements. Yeah, you yeah, absolutely. So the overall, the overall LMI score this month, April, was 51.3. So remember, any score below 50 means contraction. Anything above 50 means growth. But basically, we had the most anemic level of growth you could possibly have. Right. And this is actually the lowest uh, overall score that we've tracked uh, in the three-and-a-half-year history here. Now, uh, like I said before, that's because of the difference. The reason it's growing, so you might be thinking, okay, how is that possibly growing? It's because of warehousing activity. So warehouse capacity right now is a 46. Um, which basically means uh, it's contracting. We have less warehousing space available in April than we did in March. Right. Uh, utilization is up to 61. Prices are at 59. So we see growth in the utilization of available warehouses and in the price of warehouses. And again, it's because we have all of this inventory that has no place to go. Uh, and that's also reflected in inventory costs which were uh, at a 63. So inventory costs are growing really fast right now. Even though we're trying to get rid of inventory as quickly as we can, it's just we have all this inventory that's kind of, of sitting here. Built up. Another thing behind that is we have inventory that's sitting here that, that was never meant to sit at all. If you look at something like the oil industry or the meat pr processing industry, those are very JIT. I mean, the reason oil was, you know, minus $40 a barrel or whatever it was a couple of weeks ago <laughs> is because there's nowhere to store oil in that supply chain. It's the same with meat processing. There's nowhere to store, um, you know, mature chickens and mature hogs and stuff between the farm and, and when they would be processed. And so we have all of this just weird excess inventory that, um, that the supply chains were never meant to, to hold. On the other side of our of our metrics we have transportation and transportation uh capacity shot up to like 62 now here's why this is so interesting transportation capacity had been trending um had been trending slowly downwards uh over the last few months so we saw we saw just you know two years ago you know, transportation capacity was like 30, 33. You, you remember in 2018, we were building record numbers of fleets as fast as we could possibly get them. 
And then, you know, kind of the, the trade war starts happening. We see a manufacturing slowdown. So even though the consumer was still hot, we see a manufacturing slowdown in 2019. And we get numbers in the 70s and 60s. It had been slowly trending back down again. And then we see a huge dip in March. It goes down negative and then pops back up. Um, yep. And we see that with also transportation prices and utilization. Basically, transportation was really hot in like two weeks in March. And now we're kind of going back to the patterns that we had before. Um, and so really what, what I think we're seeing, if it just the overall LMI, what are we seeing here? We're seeing a continuation of the trends that we've seen for the last year. We had an aberration last month when, you know, suddenly everyone rushed out to buy toilet paper and eggs and, and all that <laughs> stuff. Um, and then it kind of dipped back down again. So really what we're seeing is continuation of trends. And if anything, I think that this COVID shock is speeding up supply chain trends that were already happening anyway. So, you know, a trend towards more online things, a trend towards diversification, maybe away from previous suppliers. Really what I think this COVID is doing to the logistics industry is is acting as a catalyst and speeding up the trends that we were already seeing for the last year. So essentially, we're going to we're going to potentially filter more into this just in time online retailing. Obviously, we've seen people order more food online, et cetera. But, uh, right. you know, we're going to have, you know, what we used to call the Amazon effect. Maybe we're going to call it the, the Rona effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I definitely agree with Zach, too, here. I mean, one of the things that we've seen is just I think it's going to amplify uh, the landscape for many. I mean, like you said earlier, you have to adapt, you have to be able to move, but adaption's not a choice and also not an option for everybody. And so I think it's going to clear the deck of a lot of individuals, a lot of companies that aren't able to maneuver, aren't able to adapt, aren't able to pivot, uh, and, and really kind of survive in this new environment because there's going to be a lot of changes that are going to be everlasting as we look throughout the rest of, uh, 2020 and the years to come. Absolutely. You're, you're going to see a lot of, you know, apparel places, smaller retailers not come back after this. I mean, you're going to see some places like like I think what what COVID has really showed is there's some middlemen that we need less than we used to and some that we need more. So some that we need more might be like your Uber Eats, your click list, kind of the things that we've used, those, those delivery services that are really, really getting more popular. And then on the other side, you have like retail stores like I'll take just for example, GameStop. So GameStop, the, the number one video game retailer in the country, they announced when they come back, they're going to have 355 less stores. Now, why is that? Because right now, video games are really hot, right? I mean, we got we to gotta have something to do in between, you know, watching the Michael Jordan documentary and Tiger King. We got to have something to do. So, you know, we're buying video games. Those are both great, by the way. We're buying them from GameStop. We're, we're, getting them all, we're getting them all online. And so they're kind of a middleman that doesn't seem as important anymore. And I don't see you know, uh, the, the importance of them coming back. We, we see the same thing with movie theaters. You know, now we can just watch trolls at home or whatever. And so these, these you know, movie theaters aren't going to be as important. And so we have some middlemen, you know, some steps of, I would say, the consumer supply chain that are decreasing in importance and some steps that are increasing in importance. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see, uh, you know, kind of what, what comes back and, and what we decide we just don't need anymore. What are some of the ones you think are going to increase in importance? So I think things like, uh, you know, kind of the food delivery services, those will increase. And I think I think different types of um, 
different types of carriers and, and 3PLs that, that, that are able to have more flexibility. I think we're going to rely on those a little more. I mean, and, and one of the things I think that we're really seeing is we're seeing a hollowing out of sort of that, that middle class carrier or those lower, you know, smaller carriers, right? Because if you think about, you know, small regional carriers, what do they mostly rely on? They rely on, you know, orders and local businesses and then some sort of backhauls coming back, right? They, you, know, you know, small carriers need backhaul in order to make the business model work. They're not like UPS, you can just absorb, you know, whatever. And so I think we're going to see, and, and I hope we don't, I hope we come back before this happens, but I think we're going to see sort of a hollowing out of the sort of small to mid-sized regional carriers I think are going to go away. And some of that business is going to be replaced by larger, uh, larger carriers who are able to afford uh, absorb a little bit more of this shock. Now, at the same time, what that's going to do is it's going to open up, um, I think, uh, opportunity when we do come back for new, innovative uh, companies to sort of fill in that that vacuum. Um, so, I, I you know, I think some stuff's going to go away, but but ultimately, I I think it'll create opportunities for new companies that maybe can utilize data a little more efficiently, that can be a little more flexible to come in and capture some of that market share. Yeah, I think that's solid. I think that's exactly what we're going to see, not just within logistics, but the overall economy. I know when we're talking about some of the after effects, some of the smaller mid-sized retailers, some of the mom and pops are not going to be able to weather the storm, but surely Amazon is going to grow from this, is, is really going to benefit uh, larger re- outlets like Target, Costco, are going to all benefit from this, um, while many of the mid-sized to smaller companies that were maybe not able to weather a storm of maybe a month or two months of, of a shutdown are going to fade by the wayside. Uh, and I definitely love that call of seeing that some uh, maybe smaller, more mid-sized innovative groups might come online um, because I think that's exactly, Zach, I think you mentioned that a little bit while ago, that these things usually force innovation, right? You usually see these Absolutely. kind of things pop up when you kind of have times of uh, recession because people have to act a little bit more efficiently. Yeah, there, there, there's definitely kind of a you know business Darwinism at, at play here when we, when we have these yeah. moments. Um, so, Zach, I, I'm going to ask you one more question. Uh, do you th- what do you think the, the effect of the economic stimulus is going to have on keeping maybe some of these smaller business entities, smaller carriers, smaller providers, mid, smaller to mid-sized providers in play throughout the, uh, the rest of this, this outbreak? Well, I think it's certainly, uh, certainly going to help. The issue is, is that the stimulus is finite. So it's, it's somewhat limited. I mean, it seems like, okay, we've pumped $3 trillion in the economy. That should last a long time. Well, not necessarily. I mean, with the way that, you know, with the number of capital assets some of these companies have and the, the normal volume of business uh, that, that we have in this country, $3 trillion doesn't go as far as, as it seems like it should uh, in your head. Um, you know, I mean, really, really what we need to do is, is get open again. The problem with that is we're not going to get open again until we can really test and, and, and sort of take care of the, the virus. I mean, I heard you guys talk in the beginning about, yeah, it seems like Q3 might be better, and I hope it is. The problem right now, uh, one, I think, I think people tend to be optimistic, right? I mean, I, if you remember back to March, we all thought by now we would be back to normal. We're kind of not. Um, and so, you know, take for example, <laughs> take for example, uh, um, you know, I, so I teach at Colorado State University. We're probably not going to have students back in the fall. 
and we'll have some back, but you know, my classes are 90 students. There's no way to have 90 students in a little classroom if we can't test people and have some sort of vaccine, right? Social distance isn't going to work there. And so I think that it's going to be pretty slow coming back. I mean, yeah, I think that the stimulus is great if we figure out how to end this in July. If this goes until next January, I don't think the stimulus is probably enough. Now, we could always pump more in because, I mean, we, you know, I mean, we put it on the credit card. That I think could work. Um, but, but you know, I, I think the stimulus is okay right now, short term. But really, I, 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 would, I wish we were putting some of that money into, hey, let's figure out how to manufacture, uh, you know, tests in, you know, Kansas or Tennessee or something. So we right. can actually get things back online. Um, the, last, the last piece of this, just talking about the recovery. So we, we were talking a minute ago about how it's all connected. And really to understand how this recovery and how this crisis happened, you have to understand all the connections. So China having issues before we did actually helped on the recovery side. It might hurt or, 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 or help, helped on, on the disruption side. It might hurt on the recovery side. So let's go back to the apparel industry. In Bangladesh, one out of every three jobs is in apparel manufacturing. Okay. Right now, the US is ordering zero apparel. We're, we're not ordering any clothes at all. And so a lot of people are getting laid off in Bangladesh. And, and that's going to cause huge economic turmoil. So we kind of, I think, have in our, in our heads this idea like, okay, well, when once we have the cure, we'll just turn everything back on. And then clothes will be in the stores, everything will be moving again. But that's not how it's going to work. We can turn things back on place an order. And then that factory in Bangladesh is going to go around and try to hire people again who they laid off, build everything back up and get it going again. So it's not like turning a light switch off and on with the economy. Things take a while to, to get moving again. It's like, in, in a lot of ways, a, 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 an economic disruption like this is like breaking your arm. You, you break your arm like that, right? It takes a second. You fall off your bike, whatever. It takes a while for it to come back and heal. Now, Bones usually come back stronger after they've been broken. And I think we're going to see that in the supply chain. I think we're going to build in resilience and we're going to build in new capabilities that we haven't had before. So I think ultimately this will be a good thing. But I think the process is going to be slower maybe than, than some of our most optimistic folks uh, might, might think. I, I like that. And I just want to correct you. I was definitely not one of the ones thinking we would be back <laughs> by May. I'm definitely on your side on this in terms of expecting a slower recovery. I do not expect any kind of V-shaped recovery. I don't, I don't understand how anybody even comes up with that analogy as things take a lot of time, especially if you do them right. Uh, it takes a slower time to rebuild uh, than it does to break. So, yeah. Sure. And, I mean, in the last recession... You know, the last recession really started in July and August 2008, and unemployment peaked in 2009 and 2010. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it takes a while for these things to work their way through because everything's so connected. Definitely a ripple there. And uh, Zach, Mr. Rogers, I should say Zach, too. Um, <laughs> now, insightful. Anthony, I, I don't normally like to correct you. <laughs> but uh, I, the reason I went to school for 22 years was so that people wouldn't call me Mr. Rogers. Dr. Rogers, uh, I should Dr. say. Dr. Rogers. Dr. I, Rogers. No, no, and, and I just, you know, there, there's just this hand puppet connotation that goes along with Mr. Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
Well, insightful as always, and this is one of the reasons why I always look forward to our um, monthly uh, calls and updates, getting all the latest of what's happening within the LMI. But for all the folks that are watching, um, they can get involved in the LMI as well, right? Yeah, yeah, no, we uh, we love to have more people come in and join the survey. You know, we, we think the more information we can get, the more accurate picture we can paint of uh, where the logistics industry and ultimately the economy is going. If folks want to check out uh, this month's report or, or any previous reports, as well as take the survey, uh, they can they can do that at uh, the the dash lmi dot com. Uh, you can also send me a note. Uh, my email is uh, zs rogers r o g e r s at colo c o l o state dot edu. CSU was taken, I think, by Cal State. So, <laughs> um, and, and I'm I'm always happy to add people to. Uh, either the survey or even if you don't want to take the survey, you just want to be on the distribution list when the new report comes out on the first Tuesday of every month. I'm happy to just add you uh, on the list as well. Excellent. Dr. Rogers, thank you so much, Zach, too. I mean, this was the first call, but I'm sure we're going to have you back on um, many more times here. Uh, this has been amazing. Yeah, thanks so much, Zach. Yeah, this you... is a lot of fun. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to come on anytime you, you guys want to have me. Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. All right. That was a, a lot of great information. Dude, I mean, I, I, loved, I loved talking to, uh, to the academic side. Yeah. Uh, they've got a lot of insightful stuff that they're working on. And, of course, uh, you know, <clears throat> they, can, they can see a different perspective and a different world than we can. Uh, and they provide a lot of color and context to things outside. I think a lot of us can get kind of stuck in our kind of myopic view Definitely. <laughs> of the world. Uh, you know, very looking very one-dimensional at things and, you know, just from the perspective of our own positions and jobs, et cetera, what we're trying to look for on a daily basis, heavily influenced by confirmation bias, et cetera. And, and they, of course, have lots of opportunity to explore a lot of different avenues there. So thank you so much, Zach, for that. And we will obviously uh, be trying to incorporate him on our guest rotation. <laughs> Definitely. And yeah. Zach, when I thank you, do I still say Zach, when now? You don't have to. You don't have to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the first Zach. Um, I think you really reiterated a really good point here is just that um, the theme of the show and when you're looking at this, it's all about perspectives and being able to look at different sides of the story and to kind of paint that entirely full picture. And so that's exactly what we just had there. Um, and of course, Sonar users can go out there and just type in LMI. Oh yeah, uh, and oh, yeah. into their little search bar and check out all the different sonar indexes and see what they're doing over time. I think, you know, it was very fascinating for me to hear, uh, you know, what what they had found was very, you know, his his index, the LMI index, of course, is a combination of warehousing and transportation, and they kind of pulled each other in yeah. different directions. The fact that warehousing kind of was expanding in the terms of its utilization and prices, yet transportation was having the exact opposite direction in April. Yeah. Um, so it, they kind of pulled each other into almost a break-even at 51 this month, which without the added detail of knowing where warehousing was going and where transportation was going, normally they move kind of consistently together. But, right. you know, that whole idea of just-in-time and all that is kind of broken at this point. Yeah. You know, it's... You can't really be just in time when your suppliers and your sourcing has gone dormant for a month, and then all of a sudden your demand side has gone dormant for a month, month and a half, two months, 
forever. I don't yeah. know. Um, no, the, uh, uh, but the point is, is that there, there's, there's going to be ripples over time with this. It's not going to all come back all at once. I don't believe, um, even though we are seeing some pretty positive signals here in the, you know, the early, uh, phases of May, which I think is a good news. The fact that people are still moving stuff in general is, is great news. Uh, some of these supply chains are probably adapting right now. Now, an interesting thing to me is we had the trade war last year, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which kind of inoculated us a little bit. Again, China's still the predominant provider of a lot of our, our you know, our goods uh, overseas uh, due to the low cost of, of labor and production. But we had started to see this trend of sourcing goods elsewhere, yeah. Southern Asia, all these other countries. He was talking about Bangladesh, you know, producing a lot of our apparel goods. We, we saw this transition to Southern Asia and, and India and other countries last year because of the tariffs, et cetera. Now, Anthony, my question to you is, what do you think this does now that we've kind of, China has kind of shown some resiliency here in the way that it has recovered from what we can tell. Again, China's a little bit, uh, you know, in the dark in terms of what's really happening over there. Right. Not a great, uh, not, not terribly reliable in terms of transparency, but uh, understatement. Um, so the, uh, what, what do you think this does moving forward? Do you think that we see people kind of go back to China a little bit, at least in the near term? Or do you think that they continue their path moving forward with, uh, you know, going to some of these other countries that may not have the infrastructure to sustain an outbreak conditions like that, what we're seeing right now. Yeah, so I think that's a that's a great one. It's just um, when we're looking at China, they're such a behemoth. They have these resources and advantages that really countries in Southeast Asia really can't keep up with. I mean, one of the areas that I really was expecting to really ramp up, maybe two to five years ago, I was really had some high hopes for Mexico just because that would be a near sourcing effect of, of a North American country that can be able to get um, uh, supplies and goods closer and quicker to um, uh, the U.S. But um, when I'm looking at that, I, I really am still kind of holding out for seeing maybe some more near sourcing, maybe when we're looking at uh uh, South America, not just Mexico, maybe some countries in South America could be potential candidates, but it's just going to be hard to dethrone China just because they are so massive. They have such population, a population, such a resource. Um, even if there was, you know, I think there was a, a lot of talks of the rise in the middle class and the rise in production costs, maybe that will take some of the stuff offline and, and maybe pop up some more alternatives, maybe in India, Bangladesh, Southeast Asia. But um, I don't think they'll have the capacity to absorb uh, all of that, uh, all of that access uh, production that would go their way. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you on that. It's hard to, I mean, it's easy to say, like, we need to diversify out of China uh, and move to some of these smaller countries, but they just simply don't have the population or infrastructure to support the amount of goods that we demand here in the United States. Now, you know, I, I know that we've seen some anecdotal evidence uh, that, you know, a lot of people have relied on China during this last, this most recent, uh, you know, trend of coming back online as they are able to kind of fulfill a lot of these orders a little bit faster than some of these other countries. But, you know, in our customs data that we have in Sonar, um, you know, I'm seeing a more consistent, you know, amount of freight coming from Vietnam than I am from China. 
China has actually had this bump as they came back online. Obviously, a lot more volume coming out of China. Vietnam was not necessarily as trothed out as China was. So in my mind, if I'm a shipper, you know, looking at other countries, I'm looking at countries that had some resiliency. Uh, and I, I think that that's, that's probably the first place that I'm looking is how well were some of these smaller countries that you do rely on for your goods. And again, tr supply chain transparency is a, a theme. Uh, how well are they able to handle these types of outbreaks? Do they have to shut down further? Do they, uh, you know, political, industrial, all this infrastructural questions that you have to ask, like, to me, I'm looking at other countries right now that were able to handle this pandemic a little bit cleaner. And I, I clearly can see it in Vietnam, you know, just looking at data year over year and month over month. Uh, they were able to handle this a little bit stronger than China was. Yeah, that's a great take, seeing yeah. who was able to handle this and, and really stay resilient. And yeah. almost similar to uh, uh, what Zach Rogers was talking about with companies being able to stay resilient and some of the larger ones being able to stay in play and those mid or smaller size ones being innovative and even on a grander landscape of the economy for retailers and outlets. Um, Zach, I don't. I know we're getting to the end of the show here, and usually we have a debate, but I don't know if we. You know have. what? You know what I want to do, Anthony. I want to call out our our audience. I want some ideas for great debates. I want to make debate more part of this this podcast because gotcha. I feel like now that now that me and Craig, I've got a taste of victory in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> Me and Craig had our moment, uh, yeah. you know, again, we've known each other for a long time. So that was fun for us, uh, to sit there and kind of invite everybody in for a minute. You guys can all check that out online. Of course, uh, for anybody that missed Freightways live, but I would love to hear, you know, what a, a ridiculous of a debate question as you can come up with. I want to hear it or as serious. I want to yeah. hear, I want to hear, I want to be able to debate supply chain issues. I want to be able to debate bacon versus not bacon. Which obviously overrated, bacon is going to win every time. But yeah. I, I want I want some I, I want to have a serious debate and I want to have a fun debate. Yeah, you know. Well, actually, they're both fun for me. But right, right. <laughs> um, but I want to have one I, I, each week. I think moving forward here, we'll have some feedback we'll have, from the from the viewers. Here. I would love to hear the viewers' uh, response. Uh, we can on just that. reach out to us even on LinkedIn, message LinkedIn, Zach, Facebook, Strickland or myself. Go to FreightWaves.com. Smith at FreightWaves.com. Yeah. What are your debate Z topics? Z Strickland. Let's hear them all. Yeah. Z Strickland at FreightWaves.com. Um, I want to spell all that. Yeah. So, Anthony. Yeah. What do you want to talk about this week? What do you want to debate? Uh, we, got, we got a minute. Okay, 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 a minute. okay. Come up um, So, me and you have been in a little bit of a competition with our steps, right? Mm -hmm. The Fitbit. Fitbit steps. Yeah, Fitbit steps. I'm convinced that running and jogging is overrated. You can just walk and get the same effect. I disagree. I obviously have shown a lot more uh, resiliency in my running and jogging, uh, pronounced with a soft J. <laughs> um, but than, you don't need all that. Than you have. There's, there's benefit to running and jogging well over the walking. Walking takes a lot longer. I don't have that kind of time. This I don't have that kind of time. I got a wife and kids. Mind. And I gotta, I gotta do that. I gotta get my steps in faster, more efficiently. Mm. I, I stretch my lungs mm -hmm. instead of just making them sit there and do what they normally do. Yeah, just go on a nice little walk. You can go on your three to four hour walk <laughs> because you got time. I have no time. Jogging, jogging is obviously superior to walking. Uh, you know, if you got ample time and can walk for two to three hours, go for it. No, you walk, listen to an audiobook, expand your mind. 
I can do that. I can do that while running. I can't relax while running. That's freaking obvious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>